I'm Travis. I'm Sean. I'm Brian. And, and this, this is, is Comics Verse. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Verse podcast. You're in the second episode of our series on underrated characters in comics. Last time we were focusing on Martian Manhunter. This time around, we're going to be talking about somebody who you're going to have the opportunity to see Benedict Cumberbatch portray in the upcoming uh, Doctor Strange movie. So, uh, as you've probably guessed, that character we're covering is, of course, Doctor Strange. And I'm joined today with a couple of uh, some familiar faces from Comics Verse. So, why don't you say hello, gentlemen? I'm Sean, the uh, COO of Comicsverse, and um, also a writer on the website. Big fan of the character. Can't wait to dive in and talk about him. Brian, staff writer, social media specialist, blah, blah, blah. And um, I love Doctor Strange from afar. Like, I've always been really interested in the character, interested in his powers, but I had never really read a great deal of solo Doctor Strange before this podcast, so I think I have an interesting viewpoint. And of course, I'm Travis, the uh, editor-in-chief here at Comicsversed and your host for tonight's podcast or today's podcast, depending on when you're listening to it. Which reminds me, since we're available on the internet, you can listen to this podcast anytime you want and you can find a lot of other great Comicsverse content, of course, on our website, comicsverse.com. You can find us all over social media, Facebook, Google, Tumblr, Twitter, YouTube. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spreaker. If you type in a website and the word Comicsverse, chances are we've got some content on there somewhere so just take a look for us and i'm sure you'll find us but without much further ado let's jump into uh this you know conversation about doctor strange up until reading these uh titles i had actually no real familiarity with the character outside of you know marvel ultimate alliance i you get to like (laughs) go into the sanctum sanctorum and you get to control the characters like i knew here was this magic character and i knew about the sanctum sanctorum and i knew like from reading civil war like he's super powerful and shit but like i didn't really know too too much about him so would one of you guys like to give us a little bit of the doctor strange backstory i feel like this is one of the better known backstories actually for a character who isn't really uh played up all that much so no no one uh i'd feel more comfortable talking about his existence in the last 10 years as a character since bendis was writing him in new avengers but i think you can handle the uh opening i can i I can give his his base backstory um dr stephen strange which incidentally is one of my favorite marvel names one of those great alliterative marvel names that stanley would come up with like stephen strange sounds like a rock star the he's this absolutely brilliant surgeon the most really just builds it up that he's the most brilliant surgeon in the world until his hands are crippled and he completely uses use of his hands which are his greatest tool and he because of his own ego and his own mind like you know you could very easily say oh can't you can't he direct you know use his brilliant mind to plot a surgery and direct someone else to do the question is asked like five times like why don't you just be a consultant (laughs) <laughs> and he, he he just can't bring himself to do it. So eventually he tra eventually he travels like Tibet or to something Tibet, to a Tibet ish place. Yeah, Nepal. You know yeah, the, in, those in his in, giant in, snowy mountains in, somewhere in, in the in, hidden like his in, Asia. In his initial appearance, is kind of left vaguely and like just a Tibetan Nepalese monastery. I, I'm if there's been later retcons, they've probably specified it. I'm not personally not familiar if they have. And he comes into contact with a sorcerer known as the Ancient One. And eventually there's, 
you know, your kind of typical, uh, the ancient one has another student who's plotting against the ancient one. Strange eventually stops the other student from killing the ancient one. And in the end, it was all a big test for Strange. The ancient one takes on Doctor Strange as his apprentice. And when the ancient one passes away, Doctor Strange assumes the mantle of the Sorcerer Supreme, which is the leading magical being on Earth. So from that point forward, basically, he is Earth's greatest defender against the supernatural realm, I guess, in a nutshell. The books that we actually read for this uh, podcast included the original origin story from, what was it, Amazing Tales number 115, which I actually, I did not realize that the origin story was just the last, like, eight pages of that issue. So I read about 15 pages of an irrelevant uh, Human Torch Sandman story. <laughs> story, uh, which wasn't a bad story, but had nothing to do with this podcast. <laughs> so, funnily enough, it's one of those stories that is completely ignored. For, literally, like from the moment it went out, it was never spoken of again. Until now. <laughs> um, we also read a very interesting story called uh, The Triumph and the Torment, which uh, had Doctor Strange. It actually showed us how he became the Sorcerer Supreme and then showed us an interesting partnership between Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom. Um, we also read The Oath, which uh, showed Doctor Strange having to confront uh, his feelings towards the Hippocratic Oath and its applications in his life when the uh, thing he's trying to help heal is a little bit more personal to him. And we read the uh, all-new, all-different Doctor Strange, uh, which is actually on shelves right now. Uh, the series just started a couple months ago, so uh, if you're looking for some modern-day, ongoing Stephen Strange tales, you can definitely... Definitely uh, keep your eyes out for them. But before we uh, dive into any of those particular titles too deep, let's look at Doctor Strange's powers in general and this whole idea of the Sorcerer Supreme. What is the Sorcerer Supreme? So my interpretation of it is he's the ultimate magician. He's the ultimate sorcerer. He's the guy you go to if you know, a demon has come from hell to try to take over Earth. He's the guy who can deal with that. He's the only guy who can deal with that. The comic books, though, don't necessarily portray him that way all the time. And I think that that's something we're probably going to talk about a lot more is that there's an inconsistency in what being the Sorcerer Supreme means. Over the course of the last 10 years, we've seen him as one of the most powerful beings in the entire Marvel Universe uh, in Civil War. In fact, as you were saying before the podcast started, uh, Wong actually tells him you could end all of this with, you know, the snap of a finger. And his perspective there, of course, is that it's not it's not for him to do. Um, but we've also seen him in All New, All Different, not really being able to do much housekeeping. He, he can't even keep demons out of his house, let alone um, from infecting this woman or infecting him. So there's a lot of inconsistency there. Yeah, the all new, all different uh, version of Doctor Strange actually felt very similar to like a John Constantine sort of yeah. uh, character to me. Uh, the way that, like you said, there was a certain lack of control. It was a lot more like Doctor Strange was reacting to these things rather than knowing exactly how to handle the situations that he finds himself in. Right. Which I think is an interesting dynamic, but for a character who's known as the Sorcerer Supreme, it doesn't seem very characteristic. But that title also seems at times a little arbitrary to me because he was being called the Sorcerer Supreme before he officially had earned the title. Everyone, I guess, was just kind of assuming that he was going to be the Sorcerer Supreme, so they called it 
you know, called him the Sorcerer Supreme before he got it. But um, the trial to even get the the title didn't even seem like something that was particularly a difficult challenge. Doctor Strange just happened to be the only person who stopped and thought about what he was doing without acting brashly. If that's all that it takes to become the Sorcerer Supreme is a level of knowledge of magic that you know, rivals the best magicians in the world, at least. But you have the ability to stop and think rationally before acting. Like, that doesn't seem like, you know, much of a, a title to earn. You know, the the magic part of that is so much less important, it seems, than the ability to stop and think first. So what does that say about his abilities as a magician? Is he the best magician in the world, like they say in Civil War? Or is he somebody who has some magic skills because he's got, you know, been taught by the Ancient One and all that, but is still very much somebody whose knowledge is incomplete, who is still learning? And I think that's kind of what we're getting a lot more of in the all-new, all-different. Well, it's interesting because I wasn't a huge fan of the all-new or different interpretation, but it reminded me of, and I know we're we're mainly discussing the 616 Doctor Strange, but if I don't know if either of you are familiar with the ultimate version of Doctor Strange. Not really. It's ironic because that was, a, that was actually the version that I'm more familiar with just having read more of him. Ultimate Doctor Strange is set up basically as a shyster. He's a slightly, slightly competent magician. He can do magic spells, quote unquote, but he really doesn't know what he's doing and he he's set up like as a as a tv star in fact the whole the whole concept of the name the sorcerer supreme is just kind of his his hype name it's you know his his it's his like you know it's the equivalent to being like a pro wrestling name and um and actually he ends up being killed in the in ultimatum and a really disturbing way because he truly know doesn't know what he's he doesn't know what he's doing he's a facade and i don't think that all new all different is going fully in that direction but they seem to be going a the interpretation kind of reminded me of that just of this idea of less of the all-knowing sorcerer supreme and more like a human being with an adeptness for magic who's kind of going by the seat of his pants a little bit if you will like like blurred on the edges well, it's very much more a sort of, and we talked about this on the Mystery Podcast, but it's very much more a troubleshooter of the magical world than it is I am the overseer, like the all-knower of this world. And I think that on a lot of levels, Jason Aaron went that direction because right before that, Jonathan Hickman had built up, and Bendis to a certain degree, had built up Stephen Strange as a monolith. He was almost almost impervious. He embraces the use of dark magic, which takes him to an entirely different level. And then, of course, what happens in Secret War happens, where he's killed by Doctor Doom, and then All New, All Different comes out, and it's a completely different character. There's almost no relation between the character that he was uh, in New Avengers and the character that he is now in All New, All Different. Um, much more of a, of a level character, much he more humanized. And I think it's just really more to make him relatable. I think it makes a lot of sense, too. Like you said, in terms of relatability, that's definitely going to help. I, I mean... You have an issue with superheroes once they get to a point where they just get to be too powerful and it's no longer entertaining to read a story because like Wong is saying, you know, you could stop literally every problem that you've got going on right now by snapping your fingers, which means that I now need to suspend my disbelief as a reader and say, so I guess he's just fighting and struggling through all this because he enjoys it. 
Right. right. It's like the it's the Silver Age Superman paradox. Right. Like, once you show a character like blow out a star, or once you, once you establish that Stephen Strange is not just the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth, but is the supreme magical being of the cosmos and could change history with a thought, then how do you one tell any type of stories with that character, and two, how does even anything happen in the Marvel universe? Like, right. There's no longer any stakes for that character. Right. Like oh, the the Avengers are trying to prevent you know a nuclear annihilation level event. Why isn't Doctor Strange just you know blinking it into kittens? This is why nobody has ever written an Uatu solo title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a little more later when we get into his personality, but I think this ties in Doctor Strange especially, again, over the last 10 years, has been more about his psychological and personal limitations. Why he won't do things is typically based around how it would affect the world around him rather than what he's incapable of. Because he's he's been portrayed as someone who's capable of anything. He hasn't had any... There haven't been threats to him personally. It's more been about how am I damaging the people around me by making these choices. And so even in all, not all new, all different, even in uh, New Avengers by Jonathan Hickman, he's a part of the Illuminati and they're going around stopping these incursions, which is a whole thing. If you haven't read it, you should really uh, check it out. Doctor Strange doesn't want to be a part of the murder of millions and millions of people to protect Earth, which is what they have to do. He's capable of it. He just doesn't want to do it. And that actually destroys him on the inside. And it makes him make choices that are really terrible and ultimately lead to his demise. But I think that it speaks a lot to the character and where he's willing to go and where he draws the line as far as what he's willing to do with his powers. I just wish that there was... A little bit more, and I guess, you know, with retcons and stuff, you know, obviously there's going to be changes made, but like even not including all new, all different into this whole thing, I just wish that it was a little bit more clearly defined. Where does the Sorcerer Supreme kind of rank in the overall magical cosmos powers? You know, we see him fighting Mephisto here and he can't beat him, even with the help of Doctor Doom and Doctor Doom actually is like this this is probably the best doctor doom story i've ever read to see how doctor doom is able to somehow at the end of everything come out on top and get what he wants from his mother get what he wants from doctor strange and get what he wants from mephisto is all very very clever but when you're reading things in like civil war when you're like oh he's the sorcerer supreme he can stop literally anything with the snap of a finger and then you go and you read this and you're like okay he's the sorcerer supreme he really has no power in hell <laughs> well, I, I think that kind of opens up to what we were talking about before. What the title of Sorcerer Supreme, and, and I, it really has gone by, I guess, who's been writing it. You know, is the title of Sorcerer Supreme solely, oh, the most powerful magical human being? Which, in the grand scheme of things, you know, a powerful magical human being compared to an actual demon from hell, an actual devil, would be nothing. Or is the Sorcerer Supreme the vast wielder of all cosmic power and cosmic magical power? And I think that that's kind of a thing that's affected Strange, where a lot of different writers have kind of taken whichever interpretation kind of fits into their story best and whichever whichever one you know if they want to make him a deuce ex machina they make him the most supreme magical being in the world but it's, once you do that though you can no longer have that character be a solo character and i think that's well but that, what the but struggle was for Stephen i agree Strange for but so i think long. then the problem is that you have other writers who just kind of take that and ignore the concept that he can do that right like you know i mean uh 
Civil War, it wasn't too it wasn't too long before Civil War that in um Amazing Spider Amazing Spider Man, I believe it's some number five hundred or six hundred. It's one of the big round number issues, I believe it's six hundred. There's like this mystical battle that Strange is fighting alongside the Avengers, which even there it kind of doesn't really make that much sense because if he's on the same power level of the Avengers fighting in a mystical event, what the Sorcerer Supreme mean? And then he ends up uh, reuniting Peter Parker with the spirit of Ben Parker. That's kind of, but that's really his only. That ends up being his role in the story. That narratively, that's why he ends up being there. And it's kind of like a okay, but how you know in another comic that's co- that's coming out at roughly the same time he's portrayed as literally a god like that line in civil war is literally the kind of line that you would address to a god and he's portrayed as kind of like the you know staying out of human affairs again much like a god would. right yeah i shouldn't have the power to make this decision no matter which way i choose the consequences are going to be too huge that's too much responsibility for one person like you're right that's definitely a very godlike thing if i can make one decision with one instantaneous action that's going to impact literally the entire world i live in like yeah i, I understand where he's coming from and why he won't make that decision it's just very frustrating as a reader to be told somebody has that much power and then in the same breath be told that they don't you know and i think actually while we're on this discussion of powers we should at least make some attempt to define what cosmic powers he has or what the root of his cosmic powers are what am i even meaning when i say cosmic powers so i know it's sort of rooted in a lot of occult mystical demonology uh, sort of things particularly the vishanti are figures that he specifically names a lot and i I might be misunderstanding, but I think those Vishanti are the main primary source of his powers, at least the magical spells. He's got a lot of artifacts also, like the Eye of Agamotto and the Levitation Cloak, but like his mystical spells sort of all come from the Vishanti, I think. I don't think they all come from there, but I think that a lot of them do. Okay. Right. I think that that he taps into multiple different demons and et cetera. Well, not so much demons, right? Right, yeah. He, no, I, no, he's just the, the mystical arts. They they do a very strange division where it's like the the darker black magic arts and the mystical arts. And the mystical arts are like totally fine. Uh, okay, so but, I, I was just using demons as my own word. So they're, yeah. so they're like more like what, like just benevolent entities? Benevolent entities? Uh, for lack of a better word, I guess I would say gods. Like, I, I'm, like the Vishanti, I think, come from a... Uh, an offshoot of Hinduism. So I'm assuming that there's a lot of mythological references to ancient cultures, maybe some Mesopotamian stuff. I honestly don't know. I'm throwing words out there just to sound smart, but like (laughs) I'm assuming that there, these are religious deities that come from some of the ancient polytheistic uh, religions. Yeah, that sounds about right. And um you're you're totally correct in that. There's the mystical arts and then there's the the darker arts and if you want to see how Doctor Strange is affected by that by utilizing those powers, you really should read uh Jonathan Hickman's New Avengers run because once Doctor Strange starts using dark magic, he becomes a totally different character. It, his personality is gone. He, he he changes completely. And on the subject of the Sorcerer Supreme, Bendis made a conscious effort to try to define what that meant during his run of of, uh, New Avengers, and 
he actually loses Doctor Strange does the title to Doctor uh, Brother Voodoo. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him, but he becomes the Sorcerer Supreme. And there's almost no difference between his power set before he becomes the Sorcerer Supreme and after. And Brother Voodoo isn't He's not even very good when you compare him to Doctor Strange. So I really think, like you were saying before, Travis, that it is more of a title than any definition of where your powers are at. And also you, Brian, you were saying the the most powerful magician that humans have. I think that that's probably apt as well. But when they're faced with demons like Mephisto or whoever else, he was totally out of his depth, was Brother Voodoo. Going to actually speak about his personality, you said that there's a a pretty drastic personality change at some point during one of the various retcons in the last, you know, history of comic books. There's been like a gazillion. But anyway, his personality is actually something that I was having some difficulty really grasping while reading this. And I think that, you know, to, to, you know, kind of harp on the various writers who have been kind of inconsistent with what Sorcerer Supreme means, I feel like there's been a lot of inconsistency as to who is Stephen Strange, even if we get rid of all the mystical powers and all that, who is this character at his most basic? And there's like certain traits that we always kind of see. We know before the accident where he lost the use of his hands that he was like very, very arrogant, very cocky, very greedy, didn't care much for other people. He was very selfish. We also are given hints that he was something of a playboy, you know, very Tony Stark-like, except with less of an alcohol problem. But then we are told that basically he had this revelation that now he's the Sorcerer Supreme, that he's living to protect Earth, that he's like this good guy, that he's this super wise sorcerer who's sort of above all of these like earthly desires and shit. And then we still see him hooking up with Night Nurse and we still see him basically proposing to, you know, eventually start up some sort of a relationship with the girl from uh, All New, All Different. So there's just some inconsistencies even there where it's just like, okay, so are you this great being who is beyond regular humanity and has dedicated himself to like a higher purpose? Like with the whole ancient one and his studies up there, there's something almost like monkish and almost religious about what he's doing that sort of calls to mind like a comparison to a priest or something that makes me assume anyway, like a sort of celibacy that I don't think necessarily... I mean, I may completely be off base with that assumption, but that's definitely not the way that the character is played out. And I don't think the, I think that the way that he speaks and carries himself doesn't necessarily carry through to the sort of a person who would also still continue to be a playboy. Well, I think, you know, and I know we repeat this a lot on pod, you know, podcasts discussing comic book characters because it's it's a central conceit to comic books. There are so many inconsistencies with various writers. Like like as I said going into this, my most of my exposure to Doctor Strange came from Doctor Strange appearing in either Marvel Universe wide spanning titles or guest starring in other titles. And I noticed that, you know, like Spider-Man or Daredevil especially And I noticed that in books like that, there is always a tendency to write Strange as this god-like, priest-like almost, like a shaman-like figure. And he's always speaking in these very, you know... There's just sort of a very, yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Tones, like Sir Patrick Stewart is the voice that's always (laughs) in my head. So I, I hadn't read much Doctor Strange solo stuff. So And to read Doctor Strange solo where it seems like they they portray him more as a human being and more as something where 
the epiphany he had and becoming the sorcerer supreme you know i feel like i feel like in some of the in some other titles where he's portrayed as godlike you almost get the idea that the human being that was stephen strange no longer exists and he ascended to like this godhood of doctor strange whereas in these books and i would imagine in most books that are centered more on doctor strange as his own character as opposed to being brought in to play the magical shaman it's really portrayed as no stephen strange is still there and he's a changed person he's a better person but the personality that he had is still a part of him and maybe a bit of the egotism is still a part of him and a bit of the the playboy is still a part of him and a bit of the kind of roguish aspects of his personality for lack of a better term are still there and are portrayed more when it can be you know when he can be the the central focus and central uh protagonist well again my familiarity with the character really comes from what Bendis did with him and what Hickman did with him, which really is probably the whole reason we're getting a film to begin with, because they really did such a great job with the character. And I think that they took the best parts of him as a solo figure and the best parts of him kind of like that Civil War era character who who can, you know, do whatever he wants and found a happy medium. And they really were able to explore his identity. And I thought that they created a, a character, a version of the character that would go on for a very long time. But here, Aaron, Jason Aaron, took him in All New All Different and totally changed him. To me, Doctor Strange is a character who's about sacrifice, sacrificing his physical well-being for other people, which, of course, is represented in All New All Different, where he takes on these demons into his own body to save this girl. And he does that. He does similar things throughout the, his time in New Avengers. He sacrifices his home, the Sanctum Santorum, to bring in the New Avengers and, and sort of protect them from different situations that are going on. And he's very powerful, but he isn't overpowered in a lot of instances. Jonathan Hickman took him to godhood once again from, from where we saw him at Civil War. He went down during Bendis's run and up again during Hickman's run. And I, and I think he's a character who a lot of weight is is put into his decisions. He's not the type of person to make a rash choice. He's someone who's going to really consider his actions before he takes them and how it affects other people. And there's a lot of talk about how he's very similar to Tony Stark. In fact, Invincible Iron Man, the new run, he he appears and they look the same and they have the, basically the same dialogue. It's really funny, actually. But he's not like Tony Stark because he's very willing to sacrifice everything he has for humanity. And I, I think that's one of the, the best parts about the character because obviously other characters do that. Spider-Man, different things like that. Doctor Strange is willing to let demons infest his body to protect you. And that's something that most other characters cannot say or do. What's interesting to me is like, while we we definitely see those aspects of his character in the stories that have occurred since, when I was reading through the origin story, I never felt like there was actually a moment where that character made any kind of a decision and went, I need to change who the, who I was and I need to be a good person and I need to start helping people with these newfound magical powers that I have. Like, he was acting to make sure the Ancient One wasn't killed unfairly, and that was, you know, noble, but I feel like it was also very self-serving because he wanted the Ancient One to teach him how to heal his hands. So it was still coming from a place of innate selfishness, and so when I finished reading that origin story and it was like, and so the Ancient One continued to teach him how to do magic and eventually he was the Sorcerer Supreme. I was like, and when did he stop being a douchebag? <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I read that origin story and I, I kind of picked up on, you know, picked up on the same thing you did. My, my interpretation was, I think, kind of what you said. And I, I think that the 
what you were supposed to get out of it is when he makes the decision to save the Ancient One. That is supposed to be him acting for the good of someone else. I just think that it's maybe not executed maybe not executed well or maybe or again like like anytime you're reading something from that era maybe it's not executed to the extent that that those of us whose experience is reading comics now would expect something like that to be and what I mean, sucks that's, that's, is it was squeezed into like five six pages right, at the tail end like of an a, issue so like a seven or eight page story like if you were going to introduce that like that character today it would probably be like it would probably be like six issues before oh, yeah. he even met the ancient yeah. one yep I mean, you, they uh, released an animated movie a couple years back. That was the Doctor Strange origin story, which was basically what we read here in eight pages, but it was developed into an hour and a half long movie. And you got to really explore, like, what's he feeling? What does this training even look like? You know, and in that animated movie, I feel like you actually got to see a lot more of that transformation. But yeah, this origin story here, and, and like you said, I mean, it's the time period it was written, number one, the limitation on the number of pages number two but i i don't think that it was very well communicated that you know the person who is leaving tibet is different from the person who arrived right i i think it was just supposed to be it taken at face value that oh here's the first heroic thing he did that represents him his chain from being a selfish jackass to being a heroic noble figure who the ancient one will then bestow the powers of the sorcerer supreme on now i have to imagine that they have retold his origin story at some point right this i assume so i mean in in all new all different there was that very brief kind of recap yeah yeah i mean there's been like that recap in like every single thing that we've read for this i used to be a a, uh, surgeon and then i lost my hands and then i went to the ancient one and now i have magic and like that's they put like two pages dedicated to that travis to play dr strange Well, it's it's very much like the Spider-Man, like, oh, well, you know, I got my powers and then my uncle got shot and with great power comes great responsibility. It's like, and Bruce Wayne, like, well, you know, one day coming pearls, back from, pearls, exactly. Pearls. There's like, it, it's like one of those obligatory origin stories that has to be told in every story of this character. So like, as much as like, yes, that story has been told, have they dedicated six issues to telling that story in detail? I can't answer that, but I do think it's very interesting that you guys brought up Spider-Man and and Batman as characters who have these, you know, obligatory origin stories. Doctor Strange has that that like one page intro to his character in All New All Different. They skip everything that happened in between his origin and now, and it's basically the same character. You can't do that with Spider-Man. You can't do that with Batman. Doctor Strange is so poorly developed in the Marvel Universe, at, at least as far as Marvel is concerned, that they don't even care about anything else that happened to him. It's all irrelevant. None of that plays into who he is when we get to him in All New, All Different. Well, the only thing that I'll say to that, though, is that I don't know how much of that I'd put at the feet of, oh, Doctor Strange isn't developed, and how much I'd put at the feet at the fact that All New, All Different Marvel is kind of like a half-cocked attempt at a reboot. Well, yes and no, because, I mean, even going into Triumph and the Torment or the Oath, there didn't need to be any kind of like a splash page in the beginning to fill you in and let you know, okay, well, five years ago, Doctor Strange met and fell in love with this woman. Three years later, they had a kid. That kid learned how to do magic and then accidentally killed the mother. And that mother actually came back from hell and now is the bad guy that you're fighting here. Like, there isn't an intricately involved thing there. And I I think that has to do not only with 
the writers and the inconsistencies of the character. But I think that also has to do with, and I, I said this on our last podcast about Martian Manhunter, these are characters that they haven't built a lot of secondary characters around or for. Doctor Strange has Wong, and he's literally got nobody else that he can consistently play off of. Martian Manhunter has basically no one unless he's in a Justice League thing. So I feel like having those other characters to play off of is so important for developing a character himself. You know, yes, Alfred hasn't gone through too many changes, but that's a person that Batman honestly cares about. And can talk to about anything and can talk to about the other characters Batman cares about. Whereas Dr. Strange has Wong and he cares very much about Wong, but he has no other characters that he cares about to speak with about Wong. There's a uh, yes, large mystical full world universal problems. And it's like, all right, but like outside of the mystical shit, is there anything that Stephen Strange cares about? And are we going to get to see any of Stephen Strange develop, or do we just get to watch a magical spectacle? Because I feel like that's what Doctor Strange's books are. They're magical spectacle, and we don't really... He's a placeholder. We could put literally any other person there, change the name to Doctor Voodoo, to Baron Mordo, and as long as that person is doing the same things, it doesn't matter who the character is inside. But that kind of goes back to, I think, like what we were talking about before and what I brought up before. Then do you read into the interpretation that Stephen Str- that the person who was Stephen Strange almost ceased to exist when Doctor Strange ascended to being the Sorcerer Supreme. And I get, and what- I, I don't think that that's a, I don't think that that's like a universal. I don't think that that's been the universal way the character's been applied. Also, just just to throw out one thing, like I, I think you're both right. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, when when DC does like a three panel retelling of Batman's origin, they kind of do the same thing that. You just said, Sean, you know, his parents were killed. He dresses like a bat. They don't really. That wasn't my point. My point is that you can't read Batman today without the context of, you know, Red Hood, Red Hood, Red Hood. Right. You need to know those. You need to know all of those things in order to understand where he's at with Dr. Strange. It's not the case. But is that so is that more but is that more on the development of Dr. Strange, the character? I would say that's more on the development of Dr. Strange's the world around Doctor Strange and if he functions and I you know this is skipping ahead to a later portion of the podcast maybe does he not function as a character who can stand on his own uh, carry his own series because there's not a world around him to place him in well that's exactly what I'm saying he needs secondary characters you have I mean even Superman has you know uh, Lois Lane to play off of Jimmy Olsen Perry White there's a cast of supporting characters that your main character can interact with with Doctor Strange you are limited to Doctor Strange Wong whoever the hell the bad guy is for that story and maybe a normal non-superpowered character tagging along to be the audience's point of view like night nurse or whoever and i was gonna say didn't he have like a female apprentice or sidekick or companion or whatever at one point where early on i'm not sure i i don't recall her name i know he had uh what wasn't it like clea or something yes yes, yes wasn't yes. that like a mystical girlfriend of his or something i don't know i don't know if maybe they eventually got together i don't believe she initially started as a love interest I, she was like dormammu's niece yeah there was something Used to be like his 
uh, apprentice. Pad- but like, Padawan. but clearly, look how inconsequential the character exactly. is. If we have literally so little of an idea about the character that we aren't even sure that Clea is her name, or are <laughs> is Clea a name of a character? It is. Yeah. Is is she Baron Mordo's niece or Dormammu's niece or whoever's niece? Like, well, I, I do want to say that. Like, I'm sorry, I just want to finish really quick. Like, that character, we don't know. But if I were to sit here and say, oh, Mary Jane Watson. Right. Like, or Gwen Stacy, you know, Talia Al Ghul. Like, all right, here's female characters that played a very important role in another hero's life. And, you know, sure, yes, I'm talking about Batman and Spider-Man, who are arguably bigger names than Doctor Strange. But I think there's a reason for that. And I think that that is because Doctor Strange isn't a very well-written or well-developed character because like brian said like i said he doesn't have a world built around him he is a character who is there to be the deus ex machina to react to the crazy shit nobody else can handle and he can come in when an author needs him to and snap his fingers and take care of everything i think that what you just what what both of you guys have been saying is totally true um but i think that I think I I probably misspoke when I said that he wasn't well-developed. I think it's more that Marvel refuses to accept a place for him and stick to it. So, for example... Prior to All New, All Different, he was a god. You know, he was this godlike character. And yes, they took him through a bunch of different sort of stations, but they arrived at that point. And so... It would it would have been very interesting to say, okay, here's this character who is almost maybe one of the most unique that Marvel has in that no one else in the Marvel Universe is in his position. He's the most powerful magician that there is, and he's nearly a god. What is his life like, you know? And I think that's like the real challenge Marvel has because that's such a useful ace to have up your sleeve for those situations where, oh my God, we've written ourselves into one hell of a hole with this most recent crossover event. How are we ever going to get back to some shred of normalcy so we can continue publishing comics on a month by month basis? Better bring in Stephen Strange to clean things up. And that works well enough when it needs to be done, but then... When you create a solo series for the character, you're left with, okay, how do we take this omnipotent character, make him interesting, and the only way to do that is to strip away those powers, give him some of those limitations. Also I don't know that see that's the Maximoff case. Wanda. Well, yeah, but I don't know that it's the case that it cannot work. I don't think Marvel tried to make it work. They didn't attempt to take all new, all different, and use the version of strange that we've been familiar with for 10 years they said okay we're going to strip all of that away and go back to his origin and so okay when did this character uh he's been around for like 40 years right so forget about all this development let's go back to number one and work from there what does that tell you about what they see in this character that they just gave all of that up right and like you said earlier that the character himself wasn't very affected by the lack of that history. Like, if you were to go and take Spider-Man and say, okay, Gwen Stacy never died. Like, holy shit, that radically changes that character. Totally different character. So I, I very much see what you're saying there. One thing that I think is also interesting, though, uh, about you know his personality and the way he does play off characters, because he doesn't have that core group to really play off of, other than Wong, you know, getting to 
develop that character of Stephen Strange has to come from other characters he interacts with. So what I think uh, was very interesting was the dynamic between Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom in particular, because here we've got a man of magic and we've got a man of science who have been enemies many times. They even started out as enemies in this the, the book, The Triumph and the Torment, or yeah, I have that right. I thought I had it backwards. They even start out as enemies here and sort of end as enemies, but work as allies but not really but they are and like there's just such an interesting distrust but at the same time like it's almost like honor like i'm honoring this you know agreement that i made but i don't trust you but i have to but i don't but i can't but i can like it it was just such a, a cool seeing those two characters mesh and in the the dynamic of hell and that was just such a, a cool reading experience for me i agree like i liked that book a lot and i'm prefacing this sentence by saying that for a specific reason i like that book and like i said i really do like dr strange as a concept and as a character but i think it's interesting reading that book that was my favorite of the books that we read for this podcast however it's basically a dr doom story and i think that that says something about the character of dr strange or at least the way marvel treats the character of dr strange that you know the the on the cover dr strange gets top billing but really he's the guest star in you know a doctor doom adventure like he he's there the impetus for why he's there is that doom calls in this favor that dr strange cannot refuse doom is really the one with a with a goal and with a character arc you know the closest thing to a character arc strange has is kind of quote unquote earning the title sorcerer supreme even though it kind of had been pre-established that he had it so i guess it's kind of like being like an interim heavyweight champion or something like he was awarded it because the ancient one died and then he had to earn the the title in for real quote unquote and even that really isn't played as a major part of the book the the major part of that book he's you know doom's kind of static character sidekick yeah that whole fun uh... journey in hell the whole Sorcery Supreme trial was just part of the exposition to give them a reason to have to partner up. This was the, They needed an excuse that, for some reason, Doctor Strange would actually say yes to Doctor Doom asking for his help. And so we need to come up with some reason, and that contest was the reason for them to partner up. It didn't even seem like a, an author was sitting there going, now, why is he called the Sorcerer Supreme? We never really, we never really talked about that. Let's fill in those blanks for everyone. That was a blank nobody needed filled in you know so you're very very right like that story isn't a doctor strange story it's definitely a doctor doom book i think the reason why those two characters work well together is because they're they're in a lot of ways very very similar doctor strange starts out as a man purely of science and then because of this horrific injury becomes a man of magic doctor doom is very similar doctor doom is a genius scientist but in order to rescue his mother's soul i think he he takes on magic and he learns magic. Well, what's interesting about that too is that uh, in the Triumph and the Torment, they actually show that he started out pursuing the way to free his mother's soul using magic and then eventually transitioned over to science. So right. even their you know draw to the you know magic versus science was you know polar opposite and set up from that way from the beginning, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and, and I think that's that that's that's what makes them so compelling to work together, and that's something that we've seen other times outside of that storyline, and again, they're just 
very interesting because Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange, in terms of their personalities, don't have a lot in common. But when you talk about their origins, there's a lot there. And of course, they they also share the the main thing in common of physical trauma. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and Doom, it's been retcon back and forth of if if he was really scarred or if he was scarred in his mind. But the point is, within his mind, he is kind of similar to Strange. Both of them kind of had what they thought was their their path in front of them, and both of them are severely altered by a physical uh, physical uh, disability, basically. And I mean, that kind of goes into, I know we're going to speak later about the fact that Doctor Strange is essentially a disabled character. But, you know, him and Doom kind of share that in common. And obviously, they both went two totally different paths with it and in two totally different directions, even as far as science and magic goes. But at its heart, they're both two wounded people. What's cool for me is like, Doctor Strange clearly has the better magical knowledge. But what's interesting, I guess I should say not what's cool, what's interesting is Doctor Doom, for some reason, found it necessary to bring Doctor Strange on this adventure, even though he's gone and done this, like, every year for the past, like, however long it's been since his mother died, and he's tried and failed every single time, which means that he's gone into hell on his own, he's fought and survived in hell on his own, and managed to be brought back to Earth, which... I would say is a pretty successful trip to hell Yeah, in anyone's book. Like, yes, he didn't get his mother's soul back, but he did get Mephisto to be like, all right, you know what? I could totally just keep you here for all eternity, but for whatever reason, I'm going to let you go. And then at the end of Triumph and the Torment, it's no action of Doctor Strange's that convinces Mephisto to free the wife. I mean, ultimately, Doctor Strange is the one who realizes that the wife's soul was, or not wife, the mother's soul was redeemed. But that's not a thing that Doctor Strange needed to be there to realize because it happened regardless of whether or not he was there to say that she was redeemed. Which means when all is said and done, Doctor Doom didn't need Doctor Strange or his magic abilities or anything because Mephisto allowed them to come in there. He's already been there. He was drawn to Mephisto. Mephisto brought him right there to make a deal. And all the machinations of that deal and the way it all ended up happening were all because of the strings that Doctor Doom was pulling. Outside of fighting a couple of demons, Doctor Strange was actually pretty useless in that story. And I think that that speaks to what we've kind of been saying, which is just that Doctor Strange is more of a sidekick character in a lot of cases than a character with his own arc and a reason to be a part of stories other than to fulfill something for someone else. In this case, it's so bad, he doesn't even fulfill anything for Doctor Doom. It's, it's He's just there. Right. He, he's like the mystic shaman, but he doesn't even fulfill the, he doesn't even fill the deus ex machina. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's just kind of like, he's like a Sherpa. I feel like this story would have almost been actually i not not even almost i feel like this story would have been way more effective if this was dr doom and reed richards making this trip well interesting i i, I don't know if i agree there only because strange and doom do at least play off each other well it's a very interesting clash of personalities if nothing else but i mean and, reed richards and dr yeah doom but play I, off I don't each buy other. i i also like not to i, I don't see any any way Reed Richards would ever agree to it. The reason Strange agrees to it is because there's the bond there that he will not break. 
Yeah, but there's the, there's the f- always a way to write a character into a corner. Doctor Doom's kidnapped Sue Storm. Oh shit! Well, I guess I'm as Tuesday. Reed Richards. I better go and agree to do this thing. Like, if if you want a character to do something, there's always a way to write that character into a corner. True, but like I said, well, it's it the, also the whole boon like here a, is proof of that. Right, like, but also from like yeah. a, from a metatextual reading, I think that strange the story works with strange because it's a really good read to see those two characters interacting with each other and kind of the two of them on this this you know trip into hell together it's a very it's more of a novelty right it works in an enter it works from a from an entertainment value and from a from a value of a reader i enjoy it but from a value of looking at what does what does Stephen strange add to this story really not much yeah i just i think like in terms of entertainment value, I see where you're coming from. I just think in terms of storytelling and characters, it would have been a much more powerful story because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that Reed was one of the people who helped Doom build one of the devices that uh, blew up while he was trying to go to hell to rescue his mother back in college. And I think that experiment was the one that blew up and got Dr. Doom expelled or some shit. So I think it would be, it would have just kind of brought everything sort of full circle to have these two people who have interacted time and time again, are mortal enemies. And okay, remember that thing you were supposed to help me with back in college? Now you're actually going to help me with it. And I need you to do it because I've been... You know, whatever. We could find a reason. I just think it would have been interesting and more personal of a journey for Doom to be making with Reed and vice versa. Like, Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange, outside of fighting a couple of times, have no personal relationship. So I just feel like there would have been a lot more character development for both protagonists had it been somebody that had a personal relationship with Doctor Doom. I think it's interesting. I think yet again, though, kind of what we were saying before, though, it's interesting that we've been talking about Doctor Strange, yet the biggest bite that we've taken out of that story is that, oh, this would have been more effective with Reed Richards. <laughs> I think that says a lot about the characterization of Doctor Strange. Well, Travis, you, you, said, you said that Doctor Strange was a novelty, and I think that that's probably the most perfect word to describe how the character's been treated at Marvel. He's a novelty. It's cool when he comes around because he's got these powers that we don't really understand and we don't really know what's going on with him, but he's got a cool cape and some gray hair and he kicks ass. Right, and he he's so ill-defined that any writer who comes up with anything any kind of quasi mystic story and needs a mystic character. Oh, I can use Doctor Strange. Right. He's very versatile. And because there is a lack of clear definition, I think that also makes him a very easy character for writers to play with and have some fun with because there is literally no way to tell you no. You're right. But the problem for me becomes, as, as again, as a fan of this guy, there's a version of him that seemed to be trying to define the character that they totally decided to throw out the window. And it's like, how do you reach a point where you can be a fan of the character and know that they're going to treat him in a way that's consistent? Because now the character, again, is not recognizable to me anymore as a fan. What you need to do is hope that the Benedict Cumberbatch movie lands really well, because <laughs> as soon as that movie comes out, out, that's going to be the definitive I mean look at Iron Man comics right. after the Iron Man movie versus before like after Iron Man 1 came out Tony Stark in the books was Robert Downey Jr and up until that point Tony Stark in the books was 
pretty much a giant asshole. Like not I think he still is. But. I mean, yeah, not that he's not now, but he's much more entertaining to read. He's layered. He's yeah. more layered, yeah. But then that of course brings us back to what we were saying before. What if the Cumberbatch movie comes out and the Cumberbatch portrayal is the Constantine-esque, not necessarily mythic figure, but more uh, hot, most magically skilled human being who's doing his best to just barely hold back the, you know, metaphorical demon hordes and then that's what the comic interpretation ends up being. And I think like, who knows, maybe all maybe because, you know, Marvel and Disney and it's all one big corporate synergy, maybe all new maybe the reason that they kind of scrapped that character and have come out with all new, all different is because, hey, this is what the character is gonna be right. like in the MCU. You're probably so, right. I'm so pretty sure that's exactly so what's gonna happen. Let's do it beforehand instead of a, you know, changing the character to match the portrayal afterwards. But what's great about that too is that we now get the slow burn. We There were 40, 50 years of history. A lot of stuff happened. But like you said, a lot of it was ultimately inconsequential because we can undo all of that and the character's the exact same person. So now we have an opportunity with a character who... I mean, everyone loves Benedict Cumberbatch. Marvel hasn't made a bad movie. Even their worst movies are awesome. Like... So it's not going to be so bad that people are going to be like, all right, you know what? Shelf that Doctor Strange title. We are never revisiting that again. That character, you know, they're going to keep coming out with the comics. It's going to have an even bigger fan base. I mean, look at what happened to Guardians of the Galaxy after that movie. So there's going to be a bigger fan base. They're going to be buying the comics. And Marvel is now going to be looking to develop not only a movie property, but a comic property at the same time alongside each other. So it only makes sense to have them a start back over at ground zero so that the movie's got a starting point and b make that starting point somewhere where that character's got a place to go so undoing that whole godlike thing makes sense to me because i mean basically only because of having the movies coming out like otherwise i'm with you like it sucks to just completely erase all of that but i think that now it's kind of cool to get to see how they're going to build him back up to that. And if they actually pace it out and do it well, instead of just rushing into, and now he's, you know, all powerful again. Like, here you go, guys, he's back. Like, I would rather wait six, seven years and have like a couple of really good writers have some really good runs and take us to a point where he really earns the title of Sorcerer Supreme than have him just still continue to be the same Sorcerer Supreme he's always been. I think that's that's a pretty fair point. For me, as a as a fan of the character, it's not great what they did that they've sort of gone back backwards with him. But for people who are now finding him, you know, who will find him when the movie comes out, who maybe just on a whim picked up all new, all different, strange number one, it's great for them that they have something that Marvel's probably going to stick with. So while it doesn't work for me, it works for the people who are who are jumping on now. That's great for them. I, I kind of, I am I agree. I mean, like I said, I'm just going to draw from a character that I personally am a huge fan of. Uh, to me, it's it, it's comparable to Green Arrow. I, I'm a huge Green Arrow fan, actually, of almost every interpretation of Green Arrow. But, you know... DC uh, with the new 52 they pretty le- they pretty much dropped everything that had become lovable about the old cantankerous green arrow and introduced a green arrow who it turned out was very similar to the then in development and now on for four seasons arrow tv show that is recognizable to people who know the character from that 
And I can see both sides of it. I still love old classic Green Arrow. You know, I I love the jaunty cap. I love the mustache. I love the grizzled liberal, you know, voice of the people. And we shouldn't be up here on this satellite characterization. But I'm also a huge fan of Arrow. And I can understand from DC's point of view and from Watcher's point of view that if that's the version of the character that people are familiar with, that's then the comics that they're going to put out to try and get people to read them. I mean, it's kind of a commonsensical thing. Sure. And plus, uh, the reason that I actually thought of Green Arrow was something that Travis said has always been something that I've had in mind is, and I think it could work for Doctor Strange, is this concept of a slow burn. If you do this mini reboot and strip the character back to his to this initial form that then people will know from another form of media, assuming this is similar to what the movie is. And then people come in and see him develop into a more familiar version of the character. Said new readers, however few of them stick around, will like that original version of the character because they'll have seen the character they know grow into it. As opposed to, you know, let's pretend that the the movie is a Constantine-esque film Constantine as figure to then go and read the comics and read the god level Doctor Strange there'd be a disconnect yeah I I, I see that I I will say though on the point of Iron Man uh, who again there have been many many uh, reference or relations between Strange and Iron Man as very similar characters when Iron Man number one came out in the movie Tony Stark's character was in a place that was totally unrelatable for uh, film goers because he was he was head of S.H.I.E.L.D. at that point which you know S.H.I.E.L.D. hadn't even been introduced and here you know here he is in the comics as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. but I think Marvel has probably learned a lot since then and I think you're you're both right in that this is definitely a direction they're going to appease an audience that's not maybe not there yet or, or is on the way and uh you know again that's great for them and i'm happy that as long as the character gets to a place where it's definable who he is and he's not just a sidekick that's good for that's good for everybody and i think that rebooting the character and stripping him down is really the only way to make progress and get the character to that point. And I think that as much as, you know, there have been authors who try to define his power set and, you know, what it is to be the Sorcerer Supreme and what is his personality, you know, over 50 years of history, inevitably there's going to end up being, you know, some things that don't mesh up, you know. I mean, even with, you know, 50 or 70 years of Batman history, there's things that don't always add up. But with then that's, you know, a character people really care about. With a character like Doctor Strange that isn't as popular as you can imagine, you know, especially with a much less defined skill set, there he's been pretty all over the board. So I think taking him down a few notches and saying like, all right, here's our starting point. Let's build him up. Let's define this character and let's give him some like actual storylines that actually affect him let's let's give him a mary jane and let's kill her off like let's affect this character i want to see doctor strange broken i've never seen doctor strange broken even during his origin story when he's at his lowest point when he's hit rock bottom he's still an asshole who is an arrogant son of a bitch going my hands should be working and i should be doing surgery i want to see a doctor strange who is holding the love of his life in his arms crying his eyes out because the villain that he could have stopped just killed her like I know that's happened to so many superheroes in the past. I know that it's like a cheap way to add some characterization, but like I need to see this character traumatized and I need to see this character elated. I've never seen him feel any kind of an extreme emotion other than being pissed off that somebody hasn't been paying him the money he wants for the surgery they need. 
I think it's extremely interesting that you say that you want to see him traumatized because his origin is based in his trauma. But you never actually like get to see that. Though. You're right. But I think bigger than that is the fact that his trauma is personal and in the sense that it's about his physical body, whereas for most other characters, it's about people they care about. Then show me him crying about how he can never use his hands for the one thing he's dedicated his life to. Like, it is definitely a sad and traumatic situation, but he's not a character who was sad or traumatized by it. He's a character who went, I can't perform surgery ever again? That's bullshit. I can't believe you'd tell me that. Well, look, man, you can still use your gifts and all the years of studying that you've done to still do some good in this world as a consultant. No, I need to be able to do things with my hands. No, you know what? Like, show me a character who has just been told, hey, man, you're never going to be able to use your hands again. And that character, like, I understand anger, denial, all that. There's stages of grief. But we never got to see him go through four out of those five stages. We saw anger. We saw, ang okay, we saw anger and we saw denial. We never saw any kind of sadness. We never saw him crying, thinking about like how he had wasted his life not helping people who needed it. And now he doesn't have the opportunity to help anybody. Like, and then that comes back to something I said earlier. There's no remorse from this character. At no point does he ever even seem to sort of suggest that like he's seeing things through a new light. There's a moment where in the oath, somebody visits him once he's Sorcerer Supreme that he could have helped back when he was just a surgeon. And he does apologize, but it's very much a case of like, all right, dude, like too little too late. I don't honestly, as a reader, feel like you really care all that much about that you didn't help this guy. I feel like you're now like, oh yes, well, I'm sorry about what I did in the past, but I'm the Sorcerer Supreme now and there's a demon here, so goodbye. Like, <laughs> I think we can all probably agree that his origin story, as it was told, is very crude. And it doesn't, it doesn't really touch on some of the more emotional beats that would have fleshed him out as a character that would make more people care. But I would argue that the reason he doesn't go through those stages of grief is because he doesn't feel them. He's resourceful. He's good. He's the kind of person who's going to get his hands broken and go through whatever he has to go through to get that power back. And But even if it's not his hands that are the thing that's traumatizing him, like, I just want to see what does it take to get this character to honestly care about another human being? Because I, I guess you could argue that he really cares about Wong. He does try to save Wong's life on a number of occasions. But even at the end of the oath, he's sitting there and he's not making the conscious decision to go, I need to save my best friend because they're my best friend and that's how important they are to me. He's sitting there going, hmm, do I save one person or do I make the much more responsible decision that I'm honestly leaning towards because it's more the right thing to do, do I take this last little bit of serum home and save the entire world? And it's only because of the doctor's Hippocratic Oath that he saves the one person that he has any kind of a connection to. So like, give me any other character for Stephen Strange to feel honest emotions for and about and let me see how that relationship develops. Let me see some ups where things are super great. Let me see some downs where they're super terrible. But give me another person on this earth in the pages of a Stephen Strange comic book where I see that interaction and I go, oh my God, Doctor Strange actually feels feelings. See, I, I would argue that that is what makes him interesting. In in The Oath, when he's presented with this, this choice of saving all these people or this one person, the Doctor Strange that I'm familiar with is choosing all those people. And I wish that Brian K. Vaughn had, had made that choice. 
because that would be that would take some balls. That's interesting. Or even show him ready to make that choice, but then be like, shit, though, the fucking Hippocratic Oath, I guess I really do need to go save Wong, and have him be too late to save Wong. Yeah. I, there you go. I could I could still have, you know, what I need. I can get that scene where Stephen Strange is like, holy shit, I, I waited too long to make this decision, and now I lost my best friend. Yes, I've saved the rest of the world, but like, like there's there's some regret there. Like, I feel like Stephen Strange doesn't regret anything. I feel like Stephen Strange feels no remorse for anything. And while I I get your point that like it's interesting the machinations and way that his mind works as far as why he's making the decisions and why he does or doesn't more often feel the way he does. I want to see what it would take to get that character to feel something. But you know, I think that. You know, Sean, you just said something and you weren't necessarily referencing it, but it goes back to what we said before and the concept of Strange as a god and using him as a deus ex machina and how do writers use him. That might have, that probably, that makes more sense within that story. That makes more sense within the characterization of Doctor Strange. But then you've got a Marvel universe where, or a Marvel Earth where disease doesn't exist. Well, that, that's. And, the, and that's something that either becomes, if you're other right, you either reverse it, ignore it, or go with it. If you reverse it, people will claim that there was no... If you retcon it, people will complain that there was no point to the original story as it is. If you ignore it, you're just ignoring a story that was supposed to have taken place in this shared universe. And if you go with it, you completely strip away a major layer of relatability between the Marvel Earth and normal Earth. At that point, it might as well be an alien planet. No, what you do is you let everyone have the cure and have that cause, you know economic issues and whatever people trying to exploit this cure come up with black market cures because like somebody has it and it's like super expensive look at the the guy with the aids trust fund dude. yeah like but you, from, from but what i'm saying is there's ways that they could have been handled and dealt with and played with right like, there, there's ways that you can handle it and play with it but at the end of the day you're essentially saying that there is something that exists on marvel earth that could cure anyone of any disease. Yeah, and then three months later, you say, oh shit, by the way, that cure is not fit for humans and also causes like an even worse thing to happen, and now everyone who's been exposed to it, we need to somehow find a cure for the cure. Well, I, I mean, we're getting caught up in, in what happens after. Yeah, I think the point lots of it of is... Lots of hypotheticals. <laughs> yeah. The point of it is the character making the choice. But, and I guess more my point is the character making the choice gets handcuffed by what the character's role is in this grander universe, which kind of goes back to what we were saying before about Marvel being kind of wishy-washy on where exactly what level of being Doctor Strange actually is in relation to the yeah. universe. Yeah, it's, you're, you're right. I mean, his hands were tied by the circumstances of being a comic book character. He can't make the decision that will kill Wong off because... Like you said, there's going to then be these consequences that every other author needs to deal with in this shared universe. And if every other author isn't on board and doesn't want to play with it, then it all falls apart. Just by basis of the fact that he's a comic book character, there was no other decision for him to be made. His hands were tied. But again, if Doctor Strange makes the choice for Wong to die... If the next writer comes in and he says, you know what, this is dumb, I'm undoing all of it. The fact is that Doctor Strange made a decision that impacts the way that we as readers interpret who he is as a character, what he's willing to do. Right now, we don't get to see those types of things, and that's important. 
But, right, it, but, but if it, that if, decision is undone the very next issue, then we're getting into another situation like we're in right now where we can retcon that character 50 years of history and it doesn't make a difference because anytime something crazy cool or something that could have developed that character happened, somebody else came along and went, yeah, no, and retconned it. And if he makes the decision to let, let's say that you even say, okay, we want to take the godlike power over his hands, so he makes the decision to let Wong die and then somehow the cure doesn't work or then you're playing with the fact that his decision especially in the minds of the readers then his decision was wrong and not wrong in the idea of oh let's create drama out of it but wrong in the fact that why would you have the hero do that and why would you have Wong die for something that you're not going to play off of anyway and I think that the and again this is this is kind of a shared universe conceit and it, it comes up whenever you have characters that are god level I don't even think it's necessarily the next writer of Doctor Strange that the problem becomes the problem becomes that okay the, the next writer the right, next writer of Spider-Man or the next writer of what's a street exactly. level Marvel title Daredevil yeah. is now suddenly writing a book on an earth where there's no disease. Yeah, right. but again, guys, That's... you're we're none of us here work for Marvel. The point isn't what Marvel would do. The point is the, giving Doctor Strange the opportunity to make a decision. So whether we agree or disagree with the outcome, the fact is that in the book, Doctor Strange doesn't make a choice, and characters who don't make choices don't need to exist. I can agree with that. I, I think that the well, main I mean, point that would we really argue that he doesn't make he does make the choice to the choice respect is, the Hippocratic oath. Yeah, but he's but his, it's not, it's, it's not like, like Travis it's like was saying, his hands had, are tied. Like it's not Right, but that's still a choice. I mean it's not it's not like the Hippocratic oath was magically binding I'm just saying it's not like the Hippocratic oath was magically stopping him from doing it. But it he was but choice. it was a way for him to go, oh well this decision's not really mine to make. It was it was it was it's a, a way, way for him to a, decide without taking responsibility. It was a way for him to defer the choice. It was a way for him to say, oh no the choice wasn't between saving one and saving billions the choice was to not betray the hippocratic oath, to not let my patient it, die yeah. which which i think you could argue and i think in a way kind of what you were saying sean to build on a further story you could argue that like what like you could argue that the hippocratic oath stopped applying to stephen strange when he became the sorcerer supreme as opposed to being a human doctor yeah, but you could also, if if an author wanted to, they could make the argument that when he became the Sorcerer Supreme, the Hippocratic Oath became even more important because it was even more binding because of magical properties of oaths and shit. Like, there's always a way, if an author oh, yeah, wants I mean, to, to do anything. But like Sean uh, is saying, we've got to focus on what actually does happen, not the hypotheticals. Right, but I, I guess that's just what I mean. I feel like he does make a choice, but he makes... A safe choice to, to kind of put off making the real choice. And that's what's not interesting about it. Yeah, I, I think, like Sean said, I mean, that's another book where Doctor Strange doesn't really take any action. I mean, he's necessary to that book more so than he is to Triumph and Torment, but ultimately it's not his decision. Like you said, he, he doesn't take the action to resolve anything in the end of that book. There is no real resolution even to it because at the end of it, we're back to the beginning. We're back to exactly where we were when we started this all off. And what did we learn about him? Just that he doesn't know whether or not he would rather save his best friend or the entire <laughs> world. But I guess, I guess that's what I'm saying. And I, Did we really learn that he didn't know or do we learn that 
at push came to shove, he s- saved his best friend and then came up with came up with reasoning that allowed him to cleanse his conscience of doing it. I mean, you can read into it however you want, but the reality is that he's he defers the choice. He yeah, he's, he's presented he's with not, a soft option. He's not willing to take responsibility yeah. for that choice. Right. Well, I think that that I think I think that, I think that, I think that, that actually more, speaks more to his character right. than the choice itself. And I does. think that that's more on the head. I think he makes the choice and doesn't take responsibility, which I think still fits into what you're saying. But I think that it's less that he just completely avoids making a choice. He makes a choice and then comes up with it and then has an explanation for why he for why that choice for why he it was the only choice he could make and he's not really responsible he but in the end he does choose i that's my interpretation well night nurse kind of forces it on him she's the one who like reminds him like oh well your hippocratic oath you promised never to let a patient die as long as there was something you could do so actually might not have been night nurse but there's another character who reminds him and like that's what ultimately is like oh yes i guess you're right i guess i should so like you said i mean it's definitely like him not really taking responsibility. Maybe he did really want to choose Wong and he was conflicted over like the right thing to do or the selfish thing to do. And maybe like you said, this was just an excuse for him to do the selfish thing. But like Sean's saying, like, I feel like that speaks to how weak the character is. And I think we're all actually kind of saying the same kind of thing here. I mean, I think that would be interesting, too. If, if he said, you know what? Listen, Wong is my best friend. He's the only guy I have. I'm definitely going to choose him. That, okay, well, now we know that this right, is we've a got good, a choice. Right. Yeah. This, is a, this is a character who is, is selfish and is going to make the choice that's personal over, you know. Even if there was, like, a line at the end, like, Wong wakes up at the end of the book and how, how could you have chosen me when you should have chosen the entire rest of the world? And if Doctor Strange was sitting there like, I never had a choice. I was always going to choose you. There is something. Right. There is a definitive detail, a definitive statement about Doctor Strange and how he feels about somebody. And that's the only thing that I want. I want to see him actually care about a, a female. I don't want to just see him talk casually with Night Nurse for five issues and then at the end have them decide arbitrarily, we should kiss now. Because there's been no hint of romance throughout five issues, so why are you kissing now? I don't want to see some random girl who's got demons coming out of her head who now Doctor Strange is like, you need to come over here once a week. Like, great, <laughs> like... Let that continue to develop. I'm more than willing to let this character become somebody important to Doctor Strange, but I want them to be important to Doctor Strange. I don't want this to just be a character who Doctor Strange is like, you're a person that I know. Totally agree. (laughs) And I I also must say, like, this whole conversation, like, beyond the character of Doctor Strange, it really makes me wish I could ask Brian K. Vaughn, like, yeah, like, in your interview, like, was he, was the Hippocratic Oath thing legitimate or was that his out to choosing Wong and not having to feel guilty at not choosing billions of people? Especially no, like, knowing Brian K. Vaughn and the way he layers stuff, I would love to know what his thought process was there. See, and that's the thing is, like, Sometimes ambiguity can be so key for a character and like leaving shit like that open to interpretation like Batman like but he's a character whose shit is always so black and white that when you're given any ambiguity it's like mysterious like oh my god what is he actually going for here with Doctor Strange I feel like we are given only ambiguity. And then when you are put into a situation where you want there to be black and white and right you're never given that. I completely agree. I think those are those are opportunities for writers to 
put their stamp on a character. Right. And I think that Brian K. Vaughn unintentionally missed that opportunity by not doing something definitive with Strange. Exactly. Like, he's the kind of character where there's been so much ambiguity, so much up in the air that there's no power in leaving something ambiguous anymore. You're actually empowering the character and the writer of the character more by having that character actually make a definitive statement. Whereas somebody like Bruce Wayne, if you're able to construct a mystery well enough that by the end of it, your readers are still going, wait a minute. So they all think like, like the long Halloween. Oh, everyone thinks that, uh, you know, Alberto Falcone is the holiday killer. But secretly, I know that Two-Face was also one of the holiday killers. But wait, you're saying that Gilda Dent was a third holiday killer? Does Batman know any of this? He might. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of power in constructing a, an ambiguous situation and an ending for a character who always has definitives. There's no power in giving somebody who's only ambiguous more ambiguity. Yep, absolutely. I definitely agree there. Which I guess brings me to the next point here. Stephen Strange, on his own, is he an effective solo title character? Or is he a character who should be a novelty in the background, appearing as a deus ex machina? Where is he more effective if he's not effective as a solo character, how can he be more effective? And last part, why is he an underrated character? I'll start off. Uh, I think, for first of all, we have to give all new, all different more time to develop to determine whether or not Jason Aaron has that approach that's going to make him an effective character. So far, you know, it's hard to say. He's very much in line with his origin. And, that, you know, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We just need to see him build on it and take it somewhere that, that's, you know, going to be cool. Because Doctor Strange really hasn't had a whole lot of solo series for us to reference. I mean, look at the stuff that we even read here. His one origin issue, um, which was eight pages, a team up with Doctor Doom. and a, Which a, was more Doctor Doom story. Right. And, and a mini series that, you know, so, so we need to see more of him on his own to really make that determination. Uh, that being said, the stuff that I've read of him in, uh, you know, as a part of a team, because he was an Avenger for a very long time um, over the last, you know, 10 or so years, him there has been great, but not because of how he affected the team, because of what the writers did to further the character. So I feel that he could have, you know, if they, if they had a solo series that Bendis wrote or that Hickman wrote, it would have been very good. And it would have been very effective, I feel. Would people have bought it? That's a different question. But I feel that he's a character who, who there's a lot of room there to do really cool things with on his own because he, he is malleable in a sense that, you know, there isn't a definitive take. So a writer can really go wherever they want. And I think that that's a lot of fun as a reader to see someone be bold and take a character to places we've never seen and really try to try to build someone up. You know, I, I think that's cool. And to answer the other question about why is he underrated, I think everything I just said kind of applies because he, he, again, he is malleable. He's not been defined in any real way. I think that magic also is something that we don't really understand. And Marvel has never made a real serious attempt to allow us to understand it in, in that universe. You know, like we've seen Scarlet Witch. I still don't understand what chaos magic is. So I, I think that probably plays a big part of it. And he just hasn't been featured very prominently outside of the last uh, few years where, you know, they, they really did more with him. But I, I think that now that we've got a movie coming out and he was a big part of Secret Wars, the big Marvel event that's, you know, still ongoing. Uh, I think that they've, they're, they're taking strides to build him up. And as a fan of the character, I couldn't be happier with that. So 
Sean just stole the two points I was going to make. <laughs> so I'll say this part quickly. I think that, as I've said on previous podcasts, Sean said, I think that any character can be effective, an effective character if written by the correct writer. Now, one thing I will say, just to build on everything Sean said, because the key is since with strange like let's say you're gonna hand let's say jason aaron let's say jason aaron writes dr strange for the next eight years the key there for marvel is then jason aaron has to be the person in charge of dr strange if jason aaron is writing an emotionally compromised dr strange a a growing dr strange a more human stephen strange uh, a you know being the sorcerer supreme then okay in next week's issue with spider-man dr strange can't be you know the mystic shaman god level power <laughs> priest or you can't have a reference in a miniseries to like oh yeah in the blink of an eye you could stop all this then that tears down everything that said solo writer would be doing with doctor strange and you know yes okay you could say that with a lot of characters but let's face it unless uh, unless you know another writer gives spider-man god powers in a guest starring book that's not going to affect the character of spider-man but right. call it strange there's there's so many different levels to how he's been portrayed. Keeping him consistent would be a major way to giving a definitive characterization. And as far as underrated, I do think he's underrated. I think he's underrated, like we said, in the sense that there's no definitive characterization. And I think he's underrated because he is not only from a standpoint of powerful, but from a standpoint of recognition and usage, he is magic in the Marvel Universe. He he is the definitive magic. You know, the, the who's the closest other Avenger that's magic-based? Thor? But kind of Marvel's approach that has always been that the Asgardians are mythical gods, but they're also sort of, al- they're also basically aliens whose stories have kind of come to Earth and made them gods. You know, Wanda, chaos magic, all that, but she was a mutant. And now she's not a mutant, but she's similar to a mutant, like, you know, even someone like um, Colossus's sister. Ileana Rasputin, yes. magic. Magic. Again, a magical character, who, you, but is a mutant. Strange is the pure magical Marvel character. And, you know, they kind of went at this a little bit with the Illuminati stuff. He should be the representative of magic in the Marvel Universe. And at that tone, I do think he's underrated. And I think that what would help him become definitive and help him not be underrated, and hopefully the movie helps lead to this, is give one writer a chance to do a definitive Doctor Strange and then stick with that. You can change it, you can play with it, but don't nuke it. Like what if if Aaron is that guy and he has like six or seven great years on Doctor Strange and has an amazing run, stick then with the parameters that he builds and build on them. Don't, you know, re-nuke it and go back to making him God Sorcerer Supreme because it fits because you need a Deus Ex Machina to come in and drop a magic bomb on a, on an Avengers story. Yeah, I I agree. I would say in terms of whether or not he is effective as a solo character, I would say uh, sort of echo Sean, it's hard to really make a statement at this point because what we've read here, I would say he wasn't the most effective as a solo character, especially in Triumph and Torment. The Oath was a bit more uh, balanced, um, and he was definitely a, a much more central character. But he wasn't a character who took much action and didn't seem to really be in control of much. I think that, I I mean, I'm leaving the all-new, all-different out of the judgment when I say that uh, I don't think that he's been an effective character in solo titles 
because you know this is only two issues in at this point. It's hard to say where they're going to even be taking this. These fringe characters that have been introduced, where are they going to go? Right, and I mean, we could all be saying this, and then there could be a big reveal at the end of issue five that like it is the same Doctor Strange as Pre-Secret right. Wars, or he gets his memory back, or whatever. Right, exactly. So it's, it's really hard to say definitively, but I would say that I don't think he has been used effectively up to this point. And I, I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. Basically, 50 years of history is a big part of that reason, but I think a lack of definition is an even bigger part. To go off of what you were saying earlier, you know, you're not going to see Spider-Man popping into an issue of the X-Men and all of a sudden his web shooters are attached to his feet or coming out of his butt. Like, you've clearly defined exactly his web shooters are attached to his wrist this is what he can do with his web shooters you're not going to like have new ways new powers being added to spider-man you're not going to have spider-man showing up in one issue with all of his powers and then being in an issue of daredevil and with no explanation being like oh yeah sorry daredevil i would totally help you out but i don't have any of my superpowers this week like it just doesn't happen so i think like you said having like more definition, more central control, and an idea of what is this character doing and capable of at any point in time is just so critical for a character who has so much potential power. We've seen this character be omnipotent. We've seen this power or this character have no power whatsoever. We need to find out what powers he has, how far along in his training he is, and how long he's got to go. Even if we don't have the same author on this title for the next eight years, Marvel should have like at least a five-year plan and an outline of here's what's happening year one, here's what's happening year two, here's what's happening year three, and by year five, hopefully we're at a point where we can get him to be the Sorcerer Supreme again. But if not, you know, we have plans in place. Right now, I feel like there's never really been a plan for Doctor Strange. And other characters with longer histories have had a much clearer definition. You can, Batman, to go back to that example, we've had, you know, Jason Todd's death. There's been three or four retcons since Jason Todd died, but Jason Todd in Batman Mythos has always died. And eventually he is always brought back. And like, there's just like a, a very clear, like, these are the events of the life. And for the next 70 years, that's. That event is always going to be there. Barbara Gordon getting crippled, Jason Todd coming back to life, Dick Grayson quitting and becoming Nightwing. Right now, there are no, outside of the eight-page definitive origin story, there is no other event in his life that is a definitive moment, and that's really frustrating to me. But I wouldn't, to, to go answer the, the last question as far as whether this character is underrated, I don't think that this character is underrated. I think that this character is misused. I think that in terms of the amount of power that he has, the writers give him credit or they don't, depending on which writer and what they feel about Doctor Strange. We know that he's one of the most powerful. He's the representative of magic in the Marvel Universe. We know that he can be omnipotent. So I don't think it's him being underrated. I just think it's him being underused and misused. He's been a novelty. He works great as a novelty. He works great as a deus ex machina, but he can't be that and also be a compelling solo character unless they find a way to humanize him, give him some emotions, and make me care about him. I, I said it a lot earlier. I just, I just really need that character to care about somebody so that I can see that he actually has the capacity to care because I haven't really seen that up to this point, and I'm supposed to have seen that, 
but I haven't. So I guess that's that's my whole thing. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to add on? I just can't believe we've talked this long about Doctor Strange and the words, the Defenders, <laughs> never came up. <laughs> it's a very good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did talk about him being on teams, though, like the Avengers and stuff. And, and I think that he does work pretty well as a team player. Uh, but I mean, I feel like you can take any solo character and make them work good in a team because again it's like that novelty sort of thing like oh i get to see this character that i already know and like interact with other characters that i already know and like that they don't usually interact with how's this gonna go you know so i think that it's easier to make a character compelling in a group because you can selectively focus on that character and what they're doing at important moments of interaction. If I was reading an issue of Justice League of America, though, and the entire issue was from the perspective of only Martian Manhunter, I think it would be a much more boring issue. But I get to see all of the Justice League and I get to see Martian Manhunter for a couple of you know, frames for an important moment, and I get to appreciate him in that moment. I think the same thing is very true of Doctor Strange. Well, I think uh, it also it works from this perspective as well. We, we've we've heard that they're not going to do a Hulk solo film for a really long time, and a big part of that is because Hulk on screen, and I happen to think in his books as well, works when he has people to play off of. And the the same can be said for Strange. You know, you were saying it before. He works. He would work better if he had more of a supporting cast, and he doesn't. So when you put him on a team, it's interesting to see how he relates to other people. And if you remove him from that, he doesn't have uh, anything to really support him and keep him grounded for you know a twenty issue run or whatever yeah. it is. There's Wong, and Wong's the most grounded, and even he is a student of the mystic arts, and so he's not even all that grounded. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think that, that that explains why he works so well in a team environment, maybe not so well on his own. But ultimately, the right writer's got to come along, and maybe Jason Aaron is that guy. So my final thought is just I hope that this is the direction that Marvel plans to stick with and that they've got the best intentions with the character in mind. Obviously, they want him to succeed. He's got a movie coming out. That's a big deal. And uh, just stay tuned if you're a fan of his for more Doctor Strange and hope for the best. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the best thing Doctor Strange has going for it right now is that it was just rebooted, which means that everything going forward is wide open. They can go into any avenue. They have a lot of territory they can explore, a lot of unexplored territory, and a lot of things that they haven't done in the past that this is an opportunity for them to basically rewrite history. This is a character that they haven't done a lot with, and this is an opportunity to do that. So I think that moving forward, this is a great time to start reading Doctor Strange because it's, you know, you're going to be getting, hopefully, a more definitive version of the character than we've ever gotten up to this point. All right, well, uh, that is it for our episode of the Underrated Comic Characters podcast, focusing on Doctor Strange. Again, I'm Travis, the editor-in-chief here at Comicsverse, and thank you for listening. I'm sure that you were uh, listening to us on either iTunes or maybe SoundCloud, perhaps Spreaker. Maybe you're right on the website itself. But if you are interested in more beyond just the podcast, you can find all kinds of comic-related content, news, blogs, articles, 
interviews, all kinds of stuff on our website at comicsverse.com. You can also check us out on the web at Google, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, Facebook. We are all over the place, so make sure that you uh, search for us. And please, let us know how we've been doing. Leave some comments here in the uh, podcast. Let us know on other posts whether or not you agree, disagree, are we way off? Is Doctor Strange one of the best characters Marvel's ever had? Let us know. And if there's another Marvel title out there featuring Doctor Strange that we need to read, feel free to let us know about that as well, because the more we know, the more we can talk about. So again, I'm Travis. I'm Sean. I'm Brian. And And this this is Comics Verse. Verse.